Hey everyone, Eric Grenier here, and welcome to the 31st episode of The Writ Podcast. The protests in Ottawa and at other places around the country have been dominating politics for the last few weeks, and on Monday, the federal government invoked the Emergencies Act in order to try to disrupt the border blockades and the occupation of the nation's capital. Every level of government has been impacted, but I'm going to focus on how the protests have been influencing public opinion about Justin Trudeau's government, as well as the opposition parties. To help me do that, this week I'm joined by David Coletto of Abacus Data, who has some new polling numbers to share with us. David, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. Um, so we should start right away. We're, we're talking Thursday morning. So we don't know what's going to happen on Thursday. By the time you listen to this, uh, many new developments could have could have happened. So we are, in a way, uh, looking at the past, looking at what public opinion was before this, this, uh, this week when there was the Emergencies Act, when there was... Uh, potentially some police action, uh, just uh, I'm seeing today in Ottawa this morning, some action, don't know what's going to happen. You listening to this in the future, you know, you're, you know, blessed and we, we don't know what's happening. But uh, David, before we get into it, we're going to talk about uh, some polling data that you did recently. Uh, just tell us a little bit about when this was in the field. Yeah, we were in the field from February 9th to the 13th. Uh, we interviewed uh, 1500 Canadian adults online representative sample like we usually do uh, weighted by age gender region official language and education uh, and it was a fairly uh, comprehensive survey we explored questions on how people are feeling about covid as a, the virus the convoy restrictions and protections being lifted um, and and obviously as we always do at abacus we put the political lens on on everything so lots to lots to unpack yeah. So, uh, like I said, I want to focus especially on the, on the partisan views on how things split. So, as you said, you did talk, uh, you did ask questions about uh, how people felt about COVID, but I wanted to focus on the partisan splits because you do see some pretty significant splits in terms of how conservative voters, PPC voters, uh, liberals, New Democrats, how they feel about the seriousness of COVID nineteen. So, and I think this really has an impact on how political leaders are approaching the lifting of restrictions, right? Yeah. And I think, I mean, the one thing to say is apart from the People's Party of Canada voters who are very different from, I would say, the average Canadian in terms of their views about the pandemic and restrictions and even the convoy. Um, most Canadians today say uh, there's still some risk out there when it comes to the pandemic, but less so uh, than before. 69% nationally say that. 20% feel that there is some high risk still. And then 11% say no risk at all. Um, and to your point about, you know, the partisan divides, for the most part, if you're a new Democrat, green, liberal, even block voter, the distribution on where you fall on, on those three categories is about the same. Uh, conservatives are more likely, 34%, to say that there's no risk at all. Um, and, and so that is, you know, a, a, a significantly, statistically significant difference. But still, the majority of conservative supporters um, believe either that there is some risk, even though it's less than before, or um, they still feel a high level of risk. So there is a partisan difference, but I still think the key thing is that, that you know, it's not like a black and white world where liberals view the virus through one lens and conservatives say, well, no, it doesn't exist anymore. Let's just go back to normal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But uh, one of the polls uh, questions had whether it was time to loosen things up or tighten things up. And there you see that conservatives are actually quite split on that question, which uh, I think is interesting when you think about where the conservatives are right now. We're seeing that their messaging, especially over the last week or so, has really been about uh, 
getting rid of restrictions, really kind of language we didn't hear from the Conservative Party before. Um, but within their own supporter base, it doesn't seem like it's as clear cut as that. There are still a lot of Conservatives who think that a slower approach might be the better one. It, it, absolutely. And I think, you know, throughout this data set, you see the divide within the Conservative voter base. And we're saying voter base, we're not saying members or sort of the core, you know, engaged uh, part of the party. But on that question, you know, when we ask people which describes uh, how you feel about COVID restrictions today, nationally, 37% of Canadians say, let's start loosening, loosening them up. And again, this was as of Sunday. Uh, among Conservatives, it's almost half, 48%. So 15 points higher than the national, uh, sorry, 11 points higher than the national average. Among Liberals, it's 22%. So more than double the number of Conservatives feel that it's time to loosen up. But among that Conservative group, 41% say, nope kind of feel things are fine the way they are. And even 11% say, no, I'd like some of these restrictions tightened up. So if you look only at that conservative voter group, um, even though many of their leaders, whether at the national or provincial level, have really not just signaled that they're moving to, to loosening these up, but it actually announced you know, um, uh, policies that are speeding up uh, plans to, to, to loosen these restrictions. It's not clear to me that, that it's the overwhelming view of, of their own political base, that, that that's something to, they want to do. And, and I think one of the important reasons why is because when you look at, you know, partisanship is a key driver in this, but so too is, is your age. Mm. And throughout our research, older Canadians, those particularly 60 and over, perceive there to be more risk still around the pandemic, are more leery of uh, restrictions being loosened up. And when we get into the conversations about, you know, blockades and convoys are the most opposed. And so in a way, and, and yet that's often where most conservative or more conservative supporters lie in terms of that age category. So what the pandemic seems to have done is, is, is shuffled a little bit. The, the normal patterns we see in that, you know, older Canadians who typically are more conservative in this case are actually offside with where many conservative politicians and leaders are taking um, public policy when it comes to this pandemic. Do you see a risk in that? Do you think that there's enough discomfort with uh, loosening things up with the convoy among people who might otherwise be supporting the Conservative Party? Do you think there's some risk there for the party to be taking this position? Because while you do have, you know, Liberal and NDP voters who uh, want to get rid of restrictions, you know, a, a few of them might be in favor of the convoy, there seems to be less political risk because it's so overwhelmingly in one direction. But do you think there is a risk there? Like why, why would they take this position if it is so divisive within their own supporter group? I think there is some risk. Um, certainly when you're, when you're, you know, your own voters are saying two quite different things. I do wonder though, and we've seen this in the past, whether, you know, again, this will change quickly that because the leaders that they typically associate with or identify with are telling them it's okay. That, that that might move public opinion in that direction, that your partisanship and your identity to the conservative, you know, movement even, or the conservative party might make it okay. Um, and we've seen that. So I, I think there's still certainly risk, particularly if we get another uh, wave or, or something happens that, that, um, that forces people to question the judgment of these political leaders. Uh, but I think at this stage, um, the risk, that these political leaders are seeing is more on the other side. That is, if we do not move the needle 
uh, or, or move these restrictions forward, that the risk on the right side of the political spectrum is far greater. Because when you look at how the People's Party of Canada voters answer these questions, they overwhelmingly want them loosened up. They overwhelmingly believe there's little risk. And so if, if there's a calculus going on, and I think they've decided uh, the risk is far greater if we don't act and lessen and, and loosen these restrictions than if we take a more uh, cautious approach to, to reopening uh, the province and, and the country. One of the questions I found the response really interesting was whether uh, there was fear that there will be another variant in the future that could be even more dangerous. And on that, you did have solid majorities of uh, every political group saying that there was fear or expectation that that would happen. But yet you still have these differences in terms of whether we should be lifting restrictions or not. And uh, I just thought that was a an odd result. You would have expected less fear in the future from people who wanted to uh, reduce restrictions. Well, I think what we're seeing is, is, is a divergence in the response to that belief that more is coming. And that is, we either have to live with this and figure out a way to live with it and, and lift restrictions and, and just, you know, the Florida approach to the pandemic versus what has been the Canadian approach or the California approach, if we want to use, you know, sort of really politics and how politics is driving public policy. And I think that's what's happening. And so you can have a majority of conservative voters and liberal voters both agreeing that it's likely that we're going to see some dangerous variant coming. And yet their policy response will be quite different. One is going to be, let's just live with it and manage through it. I'd, my preference uh, or my, um, my priority is, is, is being able to live the life that I want versus and this is how oftentimes it's framed. I think those on, say, the left will say, no, it's much more important to protect the healthcare system or our access to it. And it's where you prioritize that that likely will, will, will land you on, on your overall preferred approach to dealing with a future, hopefully not, future uh, variant that might emerge. Moving on to, uh, you had some questions about divisions, and I thought it was maybe inevitable that um, it did seem that there was almost equal share of people blaming the federal government or the opposition parties. And I imagine it was largely people who are supportive of the government that was uh, <laughs> blaming the conservative people who are uh, uh, against the government, blaming the government, because the numbers were nearly identical. Uh, I find that that's one of the things we often, I think, ignore when we're looking at these kinds of questions, that, that partisanship really does drive your opinion of whether someone's doing a good job or not. Yeah, I mean, most Canadians do believe that the country's, they at least feel that the country's more divided than it usually is. And when we ask them who's to blame for this, you're right. It, it's almost equal numbers say that the federal government and the main opposition party in Ottawa has made the country either much more divided or, or somewhat more divided. And you're right. So to a large part, liberals point fingers at the conservatives and conservatives point fingers at the liberals. But what's also noteworthy is that in this case, uh, people of all political stripes point to all political leaders as contributing to this division, which I think is an interesting outcome in that um, there has, I think, been a sense for particularly less partisan Canadians, those who don't strongly attach themselves to a political party, they look around and say, you know, while I generally agree with the public policy approach that we've taken, I am increasingly uncomfortable with the rhetoric that we've been using, and we had a federal election in the middle of this pandemic that seems to have you know, increased the temperature on how we uh, talk about mandates and, and you know, restrictions and, and protections. So um, you know, the fact that we're getting large majorities saying you at least had somewhat to, 
you know, you, you made the country more divided shows that it is, it does cross the partisan divide, but you're absolutely right. Um, certainly partisanship is a big driver in what, what impacts uh, people's answer there. I did find it interesting that Quebecers were the least likely to say that the country was the most divided, perhaps with some, some perspective, uh, just uh, coming yeah. from Quebec saying that, you know, obviously uh, you think about the referendum period in 1995 and uh, lots of moments in Canadian history when the divisions were uh, linguistic and, and uh, you know, Quebec, Canada, rather than between various sides of the political spectrum. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's worth saying that in our question, we didn't ask, are we more divided than we've ever been? Because I don't, any, you're, you're political, you're a historian. I don't think anyone would say that's true today. I think we're, we're polarized. I think we are more divided perhaps than usual over the last decade. Um, and, and most Canadians feel that, but um, again, that come that, that, that our, our debates and the things we argue about, I think as a country of someone who's observed politics for 20 years has ebbed and flowed, right? Like the late nineties, uh, as you said, or sorry, the late eighties into the early nineties was a pretty divisive time in Canada when we were talking about the constitution and, and the, and the Bloc Quebecois formed the official opposition. And then we had the referendum. Those were times when the country actually seemed like it could actually break apart. So I think the rhetoric sometimes goes ahead of where reality is. And that's true also in polling. Yeah. Uh, we had a rebellion, an actual full-on rebellion, 1837, 1838. So there you go. Um, so let's move on to the Freedom Convoy itself. Um, you know, again, it, it does seem to just align with views of COVID, right? If you're, if you want to see restrictions lifted, if you think COVID is not, uh, you know, is moving into more of a just handle it rather than a, a dangerous threat, you're generally more likely to be supportive of the convoy because of their demands. But again, from the partisanship, you do see that New Democrats and Liberals and Bloc Québécois supporters generally view the, the, the protests the same way. They don't support them. Uh, PPC voters overwhelmingly support it. And then Conservatives, again, have this divide, which feels like the, all of these things point to problems for the party as it's in the midst of a leadership race that you're going to have some people who are very uncomfortable with the party taking one position or the other. And we've already seen that with some of the conservatives um, trying to find alternative routes, Jean Charest, for example, to Pierre Poliev, who seems to be much more in favor of the protesters than, uh, than maybe a lot of conservatives are. Yeah, and I think that remains the, the, you know, a, big, a big problem for, for conservatives. And it, it's the difference between, I would say, probably the membership of the party and those that support it, right? If we imagine there's three universes, there's like the core membership, then there's those who had maybe voted for the party in the past. And then there's those who might be open to voting for the party, but didn't in the last election. And, and on this issue, I think there are degrees of, or shades of support for this convoy, right? And that's, I think, um, demonstrating itself in how different political actors are responding and who they're likely, who they see their likely bases, if, if you want to run for the leadership of the party. But there's no doubt um, that we, we haven't seen a, a big shift. Um, our poll aligns with what we've seen it from others. About a quarter of the country supports the convoy, but almost half strongly oppose it. Like there's an intensity to the opposition that we don't often see in, in the polling that we do. And among conservatives, yeah, you know, more oppose it than support it. This is not, you know, a 70-30 kind of split. This is a 41% supported and 50% opposed. And um, that's true in of conservatives in Alberta. It's true of conservatives in Ontario or Quebec. And so there's, there's a, 
the the regionalism of this question kind of doesn't exist. Um, but there is a partisan hue to it. And so it depends on what side of that party. Again, we, if we think back to, which we no longer seem to talk about anymore, the, you know, the fight and the removal of Aaron O'Toole as leader, um, the election campaign that he ran, even the leadership in, in 2020, all of that shows the kind of split we're seeing even in, in, in the voter base of the party. Um, and I think the convoy has simply ex exposed it in a very stark way. And you saw MPs line up on either side based on whether they were taking selfies with these truckers or not, or calling them out or calling them out to leave. Um, certainly not an obvious path that makes it far easier if you're a liberal MP or a new Democrat MP on where to do. Not clear if you're, if you're a conservative one, at least politically. There's probably ethical and, and moral things you should be thinking about. And, 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 but from a political perspective, it's, it's much more hazy. Let's get to the uh, political questions because you're not seeing, at least in, in uh, your polling, and we've seen it also elsewhere in other polls, that the Conservatives don't seem to have taken any hit for this. They still seem to have the same support. So the fact that they have some elements of the party who have come out very strongly against the, the protests very early on, we saw that in some of the first few days, and some who have been a little bit back and forth and and um, that division doesn't seem to be hurting the Conservatives. Instead, it seems to be hurting the Liberals. Yeah, I mean, we've seen clearly that the gov federal government's approval rating is down. Mr. Trudeau's personal numbers are down. Um, ballot, we're getting kind of mixed signals. We're going to go in the field again and, and sort of see if, if, if what we see as a drop in liberal support is sustaining. We, we're seeing it, um, but I don't know whether that's because some of the other numbers didn't move as much. From, from one week to the next. Uh, but to your point about why perhaps the Conservatives, despite this divide and, and some would argue flip-flopping they've done on, on the convoy itself, I think is because Canadians are looking at this situation as a whole and saying, no one is doing a very good job here, right? There's no obvious political winner coming out of this two weeks of, of chaos and, and anxiety, particularly for Eric, you and I who live in Ottawa, but for the country, and that means, you know, when, when you're then asked who you're going to vote for, um, inevitably, the, the answer may be none of these guys, none of these guys and gals, right? Because um, they don't seem to really put the country's interests first. They're playing politics with something that seems much more important than, than that. And that's what I think is happening. So, yes, it's hurting the prime minister personally. It's, I don't think the conservatives have benefited from this. When you look at, for example, accessible voter pools, um, except for the New Democrats, who may be the only beneficiary long term of this, uh, both the Conservatives and the Liberal numbers are either stagnant or have dropped, and the NDP are starting to, to pick up a little. Now, it doesn't mean that's converted into a whole bunch of people saying, I'm going to vote for Jagmeet Singh and I'd rather him be prime minister. But when you're the third party and the, and the two main parties are looking like they can't handle this and they don't know how to figure it out, um, that could be a, a political uh, consequence is that the New Democrats come out of this looking like a, a safe or more appropriate alternative. But that's still, I think, we have to see how this ends and when it ends before we'll really know the political impact that it has and, and whether the prime minister himself can, can survive this. Uh, there's lots, I think, people anecdotally I've heard saying, I'm not sure he can make it to the next election because this has so damaged his, his reputation with the country. 
in his uh, positive impression ratings that you have in the poll, they, they're still more or less though holding steady from a recent drop, right? They drop, they seem yeah. to have dropped uh, from before the protests, but they're not continuing to drop. We're not seeing, you know, a scenario where he's heading down into the teens or something like that. Like it, right. it, he does still have a very solid chunk that he, he is rarely, if I, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the chart that you uh, had uh, put up recently only went up back a couple of years, but if I'm thinking back to it, has he ever really been that f- below 35, 30, uh, 4% in terms of his positive impressions, he does seem to have a high floor in terms of uh, popular appeal. Just looking at the data right now, I've been able to expand my chart. I think you have to go back to um, the SNC-Lavalin controversy prior to the, the 2019 election to find a time when he was in the low 30s mm-hmm. uh, in terms of his, his positive, how, how people felt about him and his negatives went, went up. Um so yes, you're right. Despite all of the the churn and 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 the the criticism he's faced, he still is able to sustain a court a third of the country saying or more. I I like him. I, I I feel good about the prime minister. So you're right. It's not like he's in the territory where we've seen with some provincial premiers or even, you know, you could go back to to like Brian Mulroney uh, in those final days where it was obvious he was not going to be able to run for re-election. That's not. That's not the case for the prime minister. But I think what he's facing is, is uh, you know, it, it seems like he always takes a step backwards in a way. He's not like, and, and when it comes to your political reputation, it's very hard to, to get people to see you in a positive light when they've decided they don't like you or they don't think you're up to the job. And the pandemic, for the most part, was was the rare opportunity that that happened where a lot of political leaders in the country, Trudeau, Doug Ford, else and others got a second chance um, to, 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 to improve those numbers. I'm not sure. Um, and again, we don't know how the uh, invoking of the emergencies act is, is going to impact these numbers. This might help him. I'm, I'm not sure it might help him because we do have data out this morning from a, from a colleague who says two thirds of Canadians support invoking it. But is that going to reflect on the prime minister or was that more of, okay, finally, um, you finally did something. Um, and so I think we'll, 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 we'll need to see uh, over the next few weeks how this all plays itself out. Yeah, I, I know you uh, didn't have questions about that, so it's hard to ask about it. But um, we have seen lots of polling, like the one you just mentioned, but also in the last couple of weeks that show really solid majorities of Canadians um, generally in favor of doing something to stop the protest, even if it is um, arrests or, you know, by force. So Mm -hmm. there does seem to be the potential that if it all gets resolved uh, relatively quickly, that the government could be credited with the fact that, you know, Emergencies Act mentioned on Monday, within a week, it's all over. But again, maybe when this weekend is over, there isn't, uh, there are still protests taking place in Ottawa. And the the potential for invoking the emergencies act and it still didn't do anything there it, it does seem like there's high risk high reward with that decision i agree and and then what's next right if, if this is the step we've taken which is unprecedented and you know we haven't used it in 50 years if this doesn't work uh, i think that that creates new problems so yeah um lots of lots of uncertainty around how the country is going to react and it's going to be a day by day kind of feeling, which is hard for, for, 
for a pollster and a polls analyst to, to sort of to capture because um, as we've seen throughout this pandemic, one week to the next uh, public reaction and opinion can shift pretty, pretty substantially. Uh, we'll, we'll finish on this, and, and it's maybe a broader question. Um, you know, you're, you look at public opinion trends over uh, long periods. Is this something that we're going to see more often? Is this the culmination of where we've been heading, or just, you know, if you think of like a we're, we're climbing a mountain or something, or we're only halfway there, that this kind of stuff is just going to be more common as we go forward? Is opinion about trust in government, trust in institutions, trust in the media. Um, is it reaching a, a, a peak or is it still, you know, are we still in the midst of a wave? Well, I think, I mean, I think it's important just to, to keep in mind that, that, you know, the protests, the convoy are still a small, relatively tiny number of Canadians um, and non-Canadians participating in them, right? So, um, it's not as if this is a mass movement where millions of people are, are hitting the streets and, and sort of demanding change. That being said, as we've talked about today, millions of Canadians do, do see common cause with, with what they're seeing out there. Um, you know, I do think that we've hit a stage of this pandemic where trust in institutions and their ability to sort of get things done, to solve problems, has probably hit a lower point than at any point in the last two or three years, right? There was this spike in goodwill towards government. Uh, in the early days, we figured out how to keep people safe. And then, you know, getting vaccines pretty quickly was, was a win in our minds in terms of government's ability to coordinate. But more recently, I think, especially with this last wave, when it felt like just any institutional structure fell apart, we couldn't track who was having COVID. We, our healthcare system was kind of crumbling. All those things, I think, really, um, um, hit people's confidence. But I still don't think um, we're at a stage where, broadly speaking, people are, are just despondent and saying it's over. Right? I have no hope. I mean, in, in a survey, the same survey we asked, you know, we have these questions around how people are feeling emotionally and are you feeling happy? Are you feeling optimistic? Yeah, 82% of Canadians say they look at the state of the world and say, I'm, I'm really worried about where the state of the world. But 70% say I'm still optimistic about the future. And that to me is, if there's a glass, again, half full perspective, that's what's giving me, remaining me, giving me hope. But from a political perspective, the precedence that these convoys are setting, which is all you need is a small group of people to raise a few million dollars and you can disrupt the political system, um, may, have, may have a legacy. And if you remember, it seems like a long time ago, but just prior to the pandemic, we had two major events that really felt like they would shock the Canadian political system. We had the, the shooting down of the airliner in Iran, and we had the blockade, the rail blockades, which were having the same effect in terms of our conversations about can government solve problems? What's their role in protecting citizens? What can Canada do globally? So now we have Ukraine and Russia and you know, the, the convoy, which is getting international attention. We've been here before. The question is, you know, um, will, will once it's solved at some point, Canadians then say, okay, we have confidence again that we can get it done. Um, I'm, not, I'm not certain it's, uh, it's, it's the new normal going forward, but it does suggest that um, if our political system, if, if Canadians don't feel their, their voice is heard in our political system, they will find ways of, of getting it heard. And 
it, it when our when our police and authorities fail to sort of deal with it relatively quickly, that then I think feeds the impetus that why not keep doing this because we can have an impact and change opinions, especially if we start to see restrictions loosened. To me, that's going to connect the dots for for those protesting that if we did we did this, we achieved this. It's our it's our um, protest that that pushed these provincial governments and maybe the federal government um, to to loosen some of these restrictions going forward. Yeah, and I think you bring up a good point. Uh, there was that rush of faith in government and the ability to for society to kind of get together and do things. And in a way, it feels like these last few weeks might have chipped away at those optimists, those positive people when it comes to uh, the strength of institutions. And when you have the people on the other side who don't have much faith in the institution, it does seem like it has. it's a delicate moment that people need to make sure that... Um, People's faith in in institutions can be renewed, and because otherwise, if you lose both sides, there's not going to be much left. I agree, and then it becomes really hard to rebuild that too. Well, let's uh, let's try to end on an optimistic note, and uh, we'll see if see if things get resolved. And people take this as a moment to, you know, strengthen our institutions and strengthens our, our faith in each other, and not uh, going in, into an abyss. So let's uh, let's hope for that. I agree. Um, and I, I believe in you, Eric. And, and that's the first step, right? Is, is like, I know, and I think that's, that's the most important thing. We still see that, that as much as maybe some trusted institutions afraid that, that, you know, people are still saying, I trust my neighbors, I trust uh, others. And that's what's going to eventually rebuild uh, those institutions. But it comes back to how do our leaders act? Because I've, I've, I, as I've learned studying public opinion, Yes, Canadians can form their own views, but they're heavily influenced by the cues and, and the messages they get from those that they seek guidance and, and leadership from. And so there's still hope and that, that what happens in Ottawa or provincial capitals will then, I think, influence how people feel about uh, those institutions that these people work in. All right. Well, leaders do the right thing and, uh, and then we'll be Please. all we'll be fine. So David, thanks so much uh, for coming on the podcast and uh, going through this data with me. I know you'll have lots more. Uh, so we'll be looking out for that. So thanks so much. Always a pleasure, Eric. Thanks. Thanks again to David Coletto for coming on the podcast. Last week, I talked with Adam Hunter about a provincial by-election that was being held in the northern Saskatchewan riding of Athabasca. It's been an NDP stronghold for decades. They've only lost it once since 1975. Well, you can now make that twice, as Jim LeMegg of the Saskatchewan Party pulled off a huge upset, defeating Georgina Jolibois of the NDP. I posted a full analysis of the results on the writ.ca on Tuesday, so you can go check that out. And if you like this podcast, please share it widely, give it a rating review, or better yet, subscribe to the writ.ca if you aren't already a subscriber. And if you are, thanks so much. Really do appreciate it. Okay, that's it for this week. Keep safe, and thanks for listening.